All right. So we're in the middle of this series that we've been looking at this story Jesus told about 2,000 years ago about farming. But what we've discovered is that it really has nothing to do with farming. Uh, It's actually an illustration or a metaphor that Jesus was trying to illustrate why our lives are or are not producing the crop or the results that maybe we hoped or needed or wanted them to produce. If you haven't been here, let me kind of catch up on the story that Jesus is telling. He says there's this farmer, which in this story is God, and this farmer is going out and sowing seeds, and we found out that the seeds are the word of God, are actually truth. And what do you mean by that? Is that God, in in your lifetime, you know, sometimes in church, sometimes in the Bible, sometimes in the circumstances of life, God has come along and he's tried to plant some truth in your life. And the truth goes like this. This is a better way to live. All right? This is how life works best. Um, This is what you're doing This actually works better. Do more of this, do less of this. And these are truths that God says, if you'll just let these in and let these begin to take root in your life, I promise, I promise, the result will be this this crop that's like 30, 60, 100 times what you you put into it. I'm telling you, trust me, it'll have an abundant life. But but here's the thing is that what we've discovered is that as God has sown truth into our life, not all of it has really taken off and grown. Some of it hasn't grown at, at all. And so what we've looked at is this, this, this story is that, is that Jesus says like some of the truth that kind of lands in our life is kind of like seeds that land on a sidewalk, all right? Meaning um, we heard God's truth and it had about as much chance of growing as planting corn on concrete, right? God told us this and our response was, you know, again, the, the shortest prayer that we ever pray goes like this, dear Heavenly Father, no, in Jesus' name, amen, right? We, we, that's probably the most common prayer that ever comes out, out of my mouth. No, I'm not going to do that. God says, this is true. And I say, I don't care. I don't want to do it. God says, do more of this. I say, I'm not going to do that. God says, do less of that. Nope, I'm going to do more, actually. I know what you want, God. The answer is no. And here's the thing is, that truth has about as much chance of growing our life as, as seeds on, on, on a sidewalk. Not because it's not true. Because we just never gave it a chance. And that's, that's why some of our lives aren't really producing what we hoped they, they would. Then we came back to the next week and, and, and Jesus said some of the truth that lands in our life is kind of like landing on, on soil that's got dirt and rocks. So, so the, the seeds get in and they, they take root and then they, they take off. But as soon as the sun comes out, they wilt because they don't have enough root system really to take care of them. And, and that's our story, some of us. And sometimes in our life, we heard God tell us something and we were like, yeah. I like that. I'm going to do that. That's a good idea, God. And we took off and we followed God in that area of our life for a while. And then after you know, a few you know, minutes or, or weeks or years or whatever, kind of that newness kind of wore off and it got a little intrusive into our lives. It's like we, God told us this thing about marriage and we were like, well, well time out. I, I didn't know you were talking about my marriage. I thought that was for her. You know, it's like, uh, or I knew you, I, 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 I didn't realize that it actually meant that I would have to do that part of my life different. Now, here's an example. God, I hear, I hear what you say about sexuality. I mean, it's right there in the Bible about, you know, why are you telling you're married and be pure and blah, blah, blah. I'm telling you, let's be honest, God, that's a little old-fashioned, right? Nobody really thinks like that anymore. It's 2009, God, if you haven't been paying attention. I mean, really, that, that really won't work for me. My situation is different. And I tell God that a lot, don't you? I mean, you can fill in the blank. I know what you say about this, God. And again, it's honesty, integrity, pride, forgiveness, money, sex, whatever. And here's the thing is, God, I believe you're right. What, most people ought to do that. They, they really should. But here's the thing is, I think my situation is different. Have you ever told God your situation is different? It's like, okay, God, listen, that truth works for 99% of the people in the room. But I'm telling you, if you heard my story, and I'm going to tell you my story, I think I'm going to get a pass on this one. Because nobody can really expect me, including God. Nobody can expect me to do that. Because here's the thing, if I follow God in that area of my life, I'll get fired. 
Or I won't make the sale, or I'll miss the opportunity, or I'll flunk the test, or I'll sit at home by myself forever and ever and ever. So listen, I know what you're saying about this, God, but I'm telling you, it just won't work in my life. Worse yet, somebody might roll their eyes and think I'm some religious freak. So I'm telling you, no. And Jesus says that's the way a lot of truth starts out in our life. It, it starts well, but then when we find out it actually costs us something, we, we cave in. And Jesus says it's like seeds in really shallow soil. And this is what, what we learned, and Scott taught us this a couple weeks ago. He says, you know what? When hard times come in our life, when the heat's on, it reveals what's important to us. It reveals our values. Because when everything's going great in your life, you really don't need God, right? But when the, when the heat comes on, then we find out what we really believe because we make our choices based on the things that are really important to us. And again, that's some of our stories. We started well, we faded fast. And then last week we looked at this other soil over here, which is better than these because something can actually grow there. And so God comes along and plants truth in our life, and it starts taking off. The problem is there's a bunch of other stuff trying to compete for space. So I got God's truth coming up here. Then there's some other stuff that's growing up. And what Jesus says, this stuff, you know, because it wants to grow too, actually reaches over and actually chokes the truth of what God's trying to do, to, to, to teach us. Not necessarily out. I mean, we still believe it. We still, you know, God said it. Of course we believe it. But it, it chokes it enough and crowds it enough that it's there. It's just not producing any fruit. It's not making any difference in our life. And when we looked at last week, because there's several in this we're going to look at today, was worry. Worry. Worry is this illusion that you can change things or control things simply by worrying. There's part of us that we really think if I stay up all night and pace the floor and throw up a few times, things might change. Right? I, apparently, because that's what we do. Right? And we wring our hands and go, oh, no, no. And, you know, and, and when we take enough you know, sedatives or whatever, somehow, then, 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 then it will change what's going on. And it's, it's just not true. But here's the thing we learned last week is that the opposite of worry is not blow it off. I think a lot of us think that's what God wants us to do. Ah, don't worry about it. Don't, you know, don't, just, just blow it up. The opposite of worry is, remember, faith. The opposite of worry is faith, meaning this. Do what you know to do. Whatever's going on in your life, God comes along and says, listen, hey, I told you to do this. You do what you can do. So parents, you got some kids? Raise them as best you can according to what God tells you to do. All right? You got, you're sick. You got cancer? Take the chemo. All right, go ahead. You're depressed? Go ahead and take the Prozac. Whatever that is that you need to do. If you've got a test on Friday, study, and then release the rest of it that's out of your control to God. Here's why. It's out of your control. Really, worrying is not going to fix anything. Now, remember, why is Jesus telling us a story about corn that's really not about corn? Because he's trying to address this, hey, you're living a life, and you want it to have a good result, but it's not. Let me tell you one of the reasons why. You are worrying and you are scared to death of things that worry and fear can't change at all. So take a breath, do what you can, and then trust God for the rest. And that's called faith. But remember, this is, that's not the only, worry's not the only thing growing there. There's actually several things Jesus says are growing that's kind of choking the truth out of our life. So let's look back at the story. There's two more we're going to look at over these next two weeks. So verse 18 of Mark chapter 4 goes like this. It says, Still others... Like seeds sown among the thorns, they hear the word. So we've heard the word. Okay, this is what God said to us, all right? But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Jesus lists three potential kind of life-choking weeds or thorns that are standing in the way of your life producing the crop that you want and he wants it to produce. And they are the worries of this life. That's what we talked about last week. The deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things. And this morning, we're going to look at number two, the deceitfulness of wealth or money. Now, don't tune me out. Because as soon as you, he said the M word, you know. It's like some of us right now are going, oh, no. You know, of all the times to come to church, because I was going to go, you know, mountain biking, but instead I came to church and it's a money speech and stuff like that. Listen, if you're sitting here right now going, is this about money? You know what? You are just like Bible people. 
Okay? I'm like a Bible person. What do you mean by that? I mean this, okay? When Jesus told this story, we're in Mark chapter 4. We're just four chapters into his, his teaching, okay? He's only been going around a few days, a few weeks going, this is what God says, all right? So everything that's coming out of his mouth, people have never heard before. So they're sitting in crowds like this, and Jesus is teaching about this or that or whatever, and they're going, oh, I've, I've never heard that before. That is amazing. That, did you hear it? Not, I've never heard it like that, all right? But if you were kind of like a Jesus groupie and kind of followed him around for about three years, okay, after a while, about 20 minutes into every talk, he starts talking about money, and you've got to think the people in that crowd start going, oh, there he goes again, talking about money like money's a bad thing. And the reason they thought that is about 20% of the time Jesus opened his mouth, you know what he was talking about? Wasn't heaven, wasn't hell, wasn't, you know, you forgive your neighbor and love your enemy and stuff like that. I mean, he talked about that stuff a lot, but 20% of the words that came out of Jesus' mouth were talking about you and your money. What Jesus never said about money is that money's bad. So if you're sitting there going, are you saying money's bad? No, I'm not saying that. Jesus never said that. Jesus never said that if you have money, you should feel bad or feel guilty that you're rich. He never said that. Jesus never said if you had money, it's because God loves you, and if you don't have money, it's because God doesn't love you enough. Why did Jesus talk about money so much? That's easy. Because he's smart. Now, here's what I mean by that, okay? Audience participation time. By show of hands, if you would say that money, financial pressure, the, the need to get more money, how to spend money, or maybe you have so much money you don't know what to do with, bless you, whatever, okay, all right. But if you would say that financial pressure or the need to get more money in your life is one of the top three most stressful things in your life, raise your hand, Go. Now, hold them up there a minute, because everybody's going, I thought I was the only one. No, it's, it's most of us in this world. The reason Jesus is going to talk about money is he knows that that's what's stressing us out, more than almost anything else. If this room represented America, half of us are going to get divorced this, this next few years. And the half of us that get divorced, half of you are going to say, financial pressure and fighting over money is the number one thing that broke up my marriage. And some of us, that's our story. Why is Jesus talking about money so much? Because he knows us. He knows us. But what Jesus taught about money can really be boiled down to two things. If you're a note taker, uh, here's the first one. And number one, there's an A and a B for you really like compulsive people, all right? So number one, we go this. This is the number one thing Jesus taught about money. This should sound familiar. Whatever money you have has been entrusted to you by God. Does that sound familiar, that entrusted word? You go back to Easter, that whole waste management series was about that. Everything, everything belongs to God, and whatever you have has been entrusted to you. And the word entrusted means he gave it to you for you to decide what happens to it. Money, children, opportunity, talent, whatever that is. God has given it to you and says, you're in charge of pointing it in a certain direction. You decide where it ends up. You have, this, you have this beauty, you have this ability, you can put a ball through a hoop, whatever that is. You decide how you use that, where it ends up, what it's spent on, what it's not spent on. Okay? Now, under one, you could put A and B. And A would go like this. With privilege comes responsibility. With, and, and again, this doesn't have anything to do with money. Every area of your life, the greater, the greater that you have, the more responsibility that comes. If you're here and you're a parent, you know, that's a great privilege. But it comes great responsibility. And if you don't live up to your responsibility as a parent, they will take your children away from you. That's just true. You know, some of us in this room, we are, we're bosses or we're supervisors, we're teachers, we're coaches. And that's great. But with that comes responsibility. And if you don't use that responsibility the right way, then you're going to lose your team. You're going to lose your position. Some of you have an ability. Some of you have a talent. Some of you have influence. You say things and other people have to do that. With that comes responsibility because you can use that against people or, or for people. So the more of whatever you have comes responsibility. And then here's B under one. And, and this is a really offensive one we never want to hear. But um, whatever money you have is entrusted to you by God and there will be an audit. 
There will be an audit. Jesus taught this over and over again. There will come a time when everyone will, be, will stand in front of God and be asked by him, what did you do with my money that I let you use for a few months or a few years? I, I let you use it. And how you answer that question doesn't really have anything to do with whether you go to heaven or hell as much as it has to do with, hey, after it kind of clicked in your head and in your heart how much God loves you and what he did to connect you back to him, what difference did that make in your life, in your daily life? This is a strong statement, so if, you get, if it makes you mad, get mad at Jesus because Jesus said it, and I'm just quoting him because if I made it up, this is what gets you fired. But what Jesus said was, how and what you spend your money on is one of, if not the biggest, revealers of your view of God. Jesus is the one that said your money and your heart are always in the same place. I didn't say that. He said what you love and your money are always in the same place. That's what Jesus taught. The second thing Jesus taught about money was more of a warning. In this story that we're looking at this morning, Jesus describes uh, this warning as the deceitfulness of wealth. The deceitfulness of wealth. Now, Now, Jesus did not say wealth will choke God out of your life. Again, Jesus is not anti-money, not, not at all, okay? Jesus never taught that the amount of money that a person has or doesn't have is your biggest problem. Now, some of us are sitting here in this room going, it's actually one of my biggest problems. It's actually not. Jesus says you have another problem that's bigger than if you do or don't have money. What Jesus taught and warned about was a tendency that's always connected to money. And here's the tendency, whatever the size of your bank account, it goes like this. If I could get some more money my life would automatically get better. You're always going to have that in, going on in your head. If I could get some more money, somehow my life will be more secure. Somehow if I have some more money, my life will be more protected. And we tend to buy into that. I can prove it. All right? Let me ask you a question. How much money would it take for you to feel totally secure? No matter what happens in your life. How much money would you need in the bank or coming in every week before you'd say, you know, really, no matter what happens in my life, I'm going to be good. You know, if I lose my job, if the economy goes down, if, if somebody gets sick and needs an operation, I got it covered as long as I have this much money. How much is that for you? How many zeros is it going to take? And here's the answer. You ready? More than you currently have. If that's your answer, raise your hand. Okay? Again, you're a sinful group. Okay, all right. Absolutely. All right? The answer is more than I have. If I want to feel safe and secure that money's going to take care of my future, the answer will always be more than I currently have. And that will always, always be the answer. But there will never be enough. Never be enough. But I keep thinking that there, there will be enough. And I, if I can get enough or at least a little bit more, then my life will be protected from whatever might come my way. And Jesus makes it clear. It's not true. It's the deceitfulness of wealth. Just like worry is this illusion that I can change things simply by worrying about them, the deceitfulness of wealth is that my life, my happiness, my peace, my security, my future is insured as long as I can get this certain amount, it's a fictional amount, but we think it actually exists, of money, and it's just not true. And in the story Jesus is telling today, the pursuit of that amount has the potential to choke the real truth out of your life. And the real truth goes like this, only God can protect your life. Only God can secure your future, and that's called faith. We said every time we talk about money, I say the same thing over and over. Jesus knows that your biggest, his biggest competition for your faith and what you put your trust in isn't the devil. That's not his big enemy, you know, competing for your faith and what you put your trust in. It's money. It always will be. So the second thing Jesus taught about money goes like this. You and I will always be caught in a tug of war between God and money for which one or who we think can take better care of us. If something goes wrong in my life, the question, the tension, the tug of war will always be, can God do this or do I just need another hundred bucks? Another thousand bucks. It will always be the tension. God knew that. Jesus knew that. This is what a guy named Paul wrote to this guy named Timothy. He says this. 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now that's really important. You, you read that a couple of times, all right? Because it gets misquoted all the time. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith, trusting God, and pierced themselves with many, grief, many griefs. Now listen, it does not say that money is the root of evil. What's the root of evil? The love of money. I fell in love with money. All right? And the way Paul uses the word love there is the same way Jesus did. You can't love both God and money means you can't serve both God and money. You can't depend on, you can't put your faith and your trust in both God and money. And some of us have tried. I got a little bit of God, but I need some more money. And in pursuing that, what we found out is that I was looking for you know, security, but what I, I actually found was grief and regret and broken lives. I thought if I got some more, my life would get better. But I found out that it wasn't. Or as Jesus described in another place, I ended up with nothing, total loss. Now, time out here, okay? I have gone to church all my life. My mom was the organist. She was pregnant, okay? I've been to church all my life. I don't know how many times you've been to church. I've been to church more, okay? So I have been to church. My dad's a pastor. My grandpa's a pastor. I've been to church a lot. I've heard all this. This is not, nothing I've said so far is new. It's just not, not new. But I remember sitting out there, especially when I was younger and poorer, and thinking to myself, this is irrelevant to me. Here's why. I don't have any money, all right? So, I, I mean, of all the weeks that kind of choose to go to church, this was the wrong one. You know, it's sunny outside, and I came here, and really, this is kind of a, a, a message or a speech that Jesus had to rich old people, and that's not true. It's not true. As a matter of fact, I would say that today's topic is more relevant to the under 30 crowd than those of us over 30 who are paying for all the mistakes we made before we were 30. So if you're like 10, listen up, okay? Because... I'm telling you, if this will click in your head, it will make a big difference in the rest of your life. See, the truth that Jesus is teaching about money has almost nothing to do with how much money you do or don't have or how old you are. The truth that Jesus is addressing or really sowing into our lives today has less to do with the amount of money as much as how much have you bought into the deceitfulness of wealth, thinking that if I can get some more, my life will automatically get better. See, our problem is not our bank accounts. Our problems are our hearts are really crowded. And it has nothing to do with how much money you have. Uh, a few years ago, I remember a couple of weeks ago, I told this story about teaching in Africa on this hill with a tree on top and all these Maasai people were standing around. And we actually lived out there in these, in these villages with Maasai for almost a month. And I remember a couple of weeks into it, I looked at Peter Russell, our, the missionary, he's a friend of mine, and I said, I gotta be honest with you, Peter, I feel so guilty. And if you've ever been to a third world country, this is what goes on in your head. I feel so guilty because I have so much stuff back in America. I mean, I've got this great house. I push a button, it gets warmer in my house. I push another button, it gets colder in my house. I turn a knob and this water comes out. And I, I got these cars. I got two cars. I don't even really like them. I like two other cars, actually. I got, I got, I got TVs in my basement. I don't like anymore. I got a stack of I unloved TVs in, in my basement. And I, I, I feel so guilty. And then I look around this village. And these people's lives are so simple and uncomplicated. And, and Peter is looking at me, just shaking his head and smiling. I'm like, what? He says, Jim, people are people. I mean, what, what do you mean? He says, all of our hearts are pretty much the same. We all wrestle with the same two things, greed and faith. You want a better car? car? He wants a better cow. <laughs> the same thing's going on in our heart, greed and faith. And it's the same lie that, we're, that we're, we're buying into. See, I think if I can get some more dollars, he thinks he can get some more goats. I think if I can get a better TV, he thinks he can get a nicer hut. Somehow, our life will get better. And it's the same root problem. Our lives are crowded. The deceitfulness of wealth has nothing to do with your age, how much money you have, or what side of the planet you live on. It's a heart problem. So, that's the problem. 
That's what a lot of our lives look like. That's, that's the situation, the challenge. And here's the thing is, whether you believe in God or not, most of us would say, you know, putting your faith in money to take care of you, that, that has the potential to ruin a person's life. Most of us can agree on that. What we'll never agree on is, how do you move from here to here? No matter what I throw out there, we'll all go a hundred different ways and go, I have an objection to that and that doesn't really make sense. We'll never ever agree on how to move from being a greedy person to, to living this life that Jesus wants us to live. And you know why we'll never agree on that? Because greed is really easy to see in other people. It's almost impossible to see in the mirror. Right? And here's what I mean by that. I know who's greedy. I can look around this room, and I, here, I, this is maybe me. I judge people by what I see and what I think they're doing. Don't you? Maybe I'm the only one. I look and go, oh, I know what you're like. I know what you're like. I don't judge myself that way. I judge myself by how I feel. I judge you by what you do. I judge myself by how I feel. And in my heart, I'm not a greedy person, and that should count. In my heart, I know that I wish I could feed more poor people and give more money away. I wish I could help more people. In my heart, I want to be a better person. I want to do more, but I can't right now, but someday I will, and I've, I've got good intentions. But, but look at her. You see the rock on the size of her finger? I mean, did you see that big thing? Did you, not the size of her finger. The size of the rock on her finger. That's another thing. Anyway, all right. Huge hands. But anyway, right. did you see the car they drove up in? Do you, do you know where they went on vacation for a month? You know, do you, do you know what subdivision they live in? Do you know what, how they, they squander money? I mean, listen, I don't, I don't give very much of my money away, but if I had money, I wouldn't blow it like she does or he does. You know what that's called? The deceitfulness of wealth. It's a lie. You can call it greed, you can call it misplaced faith, whatever. Either way, the Bible makes it clear that what you value and what you believe to be true, what you put your faith and trust in, has nothing to do with your feelings. It has everything to do with what you do. Not, not what you think, not what you sing, not what you hope or not what you wish, not even what you pray, unless it leads to action. See, faith or feelings that don't lead to action, the Bible says, it's actually called dead faith. It's like having a vegetable garden, lots of vines, no vegetables. And that describes a lot of our life. I've got a lot of stuff growing in my life, it's just not producing anything. And Jesus warns that greed and empty faith or well-intentioned, well-meaning good intentions will choke your life unless you intentionally get down on your hands and knees and start pulling weeds, grab a shovel, grab a, a garden hoe, and start weeding out greed and faith in the wrong things. And how do you do that? How do you move from here to here? Rather than me tell you what I think you ought to do, I'm going to go back. Throughout the Bible, God makes it clear there's only one way to kill greed at the root level, to pull out you know, wrongly placed faith in your life. So let's go back to this letter that Paul writes to this young guy named Timothy. Paul's about to retire, actually be killed. And he says, Timothy, as you go out and start little churches like Flatirons, here's what you have to teach. So let's look at it. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. It goes like this. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now there's certain phrases out there that you kind of read and go, oh, I'm out. So we're going to take this phrase by phrase and figure out what Paul is trying to teach us. Look back at this again. First phrase. Command those who are rich in this present world. And some of us are going, I'm out, because I am not rich, okay? Well, you, gotta, you, you probably have the wrong definition of rich. Let's use the definition Jesus used of the word rich. If you will eat a meal today, you're rich, according to what Jesus says. If you have access to water, that when you drink it, it won't kill you or your children through dysentery or diarrhea, you're rich. If you uh, can sleep indoors tonight because you have a roof over your head, you're, you're rich. If you have more than one thing to wear, according to what Jesus says, 
you're rich. If you have access, I'll throw this one in. If you have access to any level of health care, you're rich. How rich? That would put you in the top 4% of the wealthiest people on the planet. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, well, you know, he has season tickets, you know, courtside, and she's got the new iPod, and they got new cars. Those are luxuries. Nothing wrong with that. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about you're rich if you have the basic needs of your life met. So that's the bar. So if, if you don't have enough to eat and you don't have any water, clean water, and you don't have anything to wear and, 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 and you're sick and you have no hope of, of finding any medicine, you get a pass today. But the rest of us need to listen in. So command those who are rich in this present world. Here it is. Not to be arrogant, nor to put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. If you have money, if you have access to the basics of life, don't get cocky about it. Here's, here's why. Because you can lose it in a second. And in this economy, that's already some of our stories. I worked for that company for 20 years, and the boss came up to me and said, I'm sorry, there's no severance, you're just done. And now I'm going to lose my house and my cars, and my kids can't go to college. And about that health care, I lost it, right? And we're sitting there, we're scrambling right now. Or, or maybe this, I thought my life would always be good, and then the doctor said, you didn't do anything wrong, but you still have cancer. And now what am I going to do? Right? I mean, that's just true. You know, we really thought that our family would always stay together. My husband would always work. My wife would always work. Whatever that is, my parents would always work. And then, you know, they, they, we got a divorce, and they took everything. And now I've got nothing. I don't know where my next meal's coming from. Don't get cocky about it, because things totally out of your control, you don't get a vote on them, can take it all away from you tomorrow. Isn't that true? I mean, it's, it's just true. So don't get cocky about it. Instead, here's what we need to do. But to put their hope in God, their faith, their trust in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. All right, to that abundant life. Don't put your faith and trust in money because it could be gone tomorrow. Put your faith and hope in God who will not be gone tomorrow and says, I will take care of you with or without the presence of money. It's what Scott said last week when he's quoting Jesus when Jesus said, hey, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all that other stuff. What do you mean other things? Um, food, clothing, shelter. That'll be added to you as, as well. So if you're looking at step one, if you're taking that note taker, all right, how do I move from here to here? It goes like this. This is the list of all the things in my life that have to be done. They have to get done. Where's God on the list? And Jesus would say, start moving him up. Start moving him up, actually put him first on the list. And here's, here's what Jesus says. Is if he's first on the list, all this stuff tends to, take, to, tends to fall into place. And here's the thing is, I can't explain it better than that. All I know that the more I put God on the top of my list, this stuff seems to take care of itself. I, I can't explain that. Call it a miracle. Call it faith. I, I don't know. All I know is that when I put God on the top of my list, in my money, in, in every area of my life, things in this, this part of my life tend to fall into place. They don't, all my problems don't go away. Just things tend to make more sense. So step one would be to prioritize God. The second thing goes like this. It gets more offensive, by the way, if you're still here. So let's look at the next verse, all right? Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So command them. Who? The rich people. Now, now who are the rich people? If you have something to eat, you have something to drink, and you're sleeping indoors, okay, then you're with. So if, rich people, listen, all right? Do good. Now, don't just do good. Be rich in good deeds. Meaning, in a few minutes, Jesus says, get up out of this room and go do something good for somebody. All right? And what do you mean by doing good? Uh, be generous and, and share with people. Here's what Jesus taught over and over. And this is Jesus. So if you don't like it, your problem is with Jesus, not me. Jesus said there is only one way to weed greed out of your life. Only one way. And here it is. Ready? You got to be generous with your money. Not just your time, not just volunteer to you know, help renovate the children's things, and not just park cars, and not just make coffee. We need you to do all that. That's not what we're talking about right now. Jesus says the only way to weed greed out of your life 
is that whatever money you have, take a portion of it and intentionally give it away. Not because the Bible requires you to. There's that verse that says 10% or something like that. That's not what we're talking about today. But because you understand what money is and that it's been entrusted to you by God and that it's not all for you. He's trusted you with it. Now, I'm a visual person, so this is what it looks like to me. Look at the screens. My stuff, all for me, equals what? Greed. Have you, have you ever babysat a four-year-old? Greediest people on the planet, okay? They're just, they're just horrible little people, okay? And here's how. You go, you say, all right, hey, share that with your sister. No! It's mine, you know, it's my ball, it's my toy, whatever. You know, here's the thing is, all right, a lot of us never grew out of that. We're still stuck there with, it's mine. It's my stuff, it's my money, it's my this, it's my that. And I'm not sharing, let them get their own. I worked hard for this as a four-year-old. You know, whatever that is, you know, it's, it's, it's mine. See, Jesus comes along and teaches this. My stuff, actually isn't your stuff, but my stuff to share equals generosity. The only thing that can combat greed in your life. But here's the thing is, remember why Jesus is teaching a story about corn that really doesn't have anything to do with corn? He's addressing, hey, I want to talk about why your life is not ending up the way you wanted it to end up. So visually, this is what it looks like for me. My stuff to share actually equals freedom. What do you mean by that? This is going to get really quiet and awkward in here. Let's be really, really honest. At least this is my story. Most of the times that I've ended up in financial prisons of debt and payments is not because I was too generous. Right? I mean, if I went to my house and there's no food, it's probably not because I gave it all to the poor. Right? If you're running short on money, you're probably going, why, why don't you have any money? I gave it all away. You know, I was walking down the street and there's poor. I'm like, here, here, here. Now I don't have any. I mean, is that any, anybody? Mother Teresa's not here. Okay, so the rest of us is like, no, that's not why we're, we're broke. Here's why most of us are in debt and in prison to debt, right? This is my story. I had $100. I saw something that cost $110, and I said I wanted it. And I mashed down on the accelerator of my life and I tried or now I'm trying to live on more than I actually make. And now I'm locked into debt and payments on stuff that's already broken and out of style and obsolete. I had to have the shiny new car. Now I get in that car and all it is is a prison and I got 36 more payments on. Is that anybody's story? And I thought it'd make me happy and it doesn't. And Jesus comes along and says, you want to be free from that bondage and that prison? You want to guard against getting suckered into this, this thing that money promises that it can get you but it can't? Here's what you have to do. And this is really deep. This is going to make you look at your neighbor and go... This is why we come to Flatirons, because Jim is so wise. I'm going to give you something. You're going to want to write this down, okay? It's deep, all right? I'm going to throw this out. What if, rather than spend more money than you have, what if we made a decision to spend less money than we make? Some of you are looking at me like, is he speaking Chinese? What, what, is, what is this you're saying? That's why God gave us credit cards. What, what, are, you, what are you talking about? I, I didn't make this up. This is the truth Jesus is trying to sow into our life this morning, all right? And again, it's true whether you believe in God or not. You have to agree with this, but at least in my mind, this makes sense. It is impossible to be enslaved to money if you spend less money than you make. Why sensei? I know. It just, it just makes sense. All right, here, here's, again, visually, all right? You know what you call, I make this much money and I spend this much money. You know what you call it, I make this much and I spend more than I make? You know what you call this? <laughs> yeah, debt, uh, prison, thorns. Right? I mean, it's, 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 it's stress. It's, it's all those things that we all raise our hands about, okay? If, if I make this much money and I spend less than I actually make, you know what you call this? Peace, margin, a better life, 
freedom, right? And the best way, and Jesus would say, I, I believe, the only way to ensure that you always spend less than you make is to intentionally build some section in your life that says, I'm going to give part of my money away. As I make my budget, it, it's almost impossible to overspend when you've built into your life, I'm going to make sure that I give at least a percentage of my money away. So here's what Jesus has taught so, so far. I've got one more. One is prioritize God, put him first, or move him up the list. Two, be generous, give a percentage of your money away. One more, big question. Who should I give my money to? Or what should I give my money to? And that's a great question because we all have our causes and we're all into different things. But the answer is found back in number one. Prioritize God. You've got to ask, what, what you believe to be true about God, what's important to Him? Because if He's the first priority in your life, what's important to Him ought to be important to you. And that's where you should generously give. What's important to God? And that's where my money goes first. Look at this last verse, and then we'll be out of here. It says this, In this way, what, what, what way? Generously giving some of your money away. In this way, they, the rich people, we will lay up treasure for ourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they, the rich people, like us, may take hold of the life that is, and what's the next two words? Truly life. Apparently, there's a life out there that's not truly life. You know what you call life that's not really life? Death. Oh, he's so smart. I know, I know. Listen, life that's not really life is, is death. And there's this, there are two deals on the table. One leads to true life and the other one leads someplace else. And so Jesus says, comes along and says, hey, don't be duped into thinking, you know, that I can get this and that'll lead to true life because it's not really true. Don't be deceived into thinking you can buy something and that'll end up a better life. You can go back to that waste management series from Easter. Everything you buy, everything you own, everything you purchase, everything you make payments on, everything that you have in your life ends up in one of two places, a cemetery or a landfill. Unless, this is what Jesus taught, what you buy and do and, and purchase and invest in aligns with the heart and the priorities of God. According to Jesus, that's like putting money in a bank that will never get robbed and buying stuff that will never, ever depreciate or go out of style. Here's what Jesus is teaching about turning crowded, thorny, choking soil into good soil where abundant life can grow. First, put God first in your life. Second, be a generous giver. And third, give generously towards the heart of God. Now, here's the here's other question. What is the heart of God? What's the most important thing to God? And this, here's the broken record. Here he goes again. I know. And I'll come here another month. You'll hear it three more times. I'm telling you. Here's the heart of God. One is the gospel. The good news. He, here's the heartbeat of God. He wants to make sure that everybody on the planet has an opportunity to hear that God does not hate them. No matter how many times you've messed up in your life or what you've screwed up in your life, it is not enough to, to, to disqualify you from God. And what Jesus did on the cross is enough to, disconnect, to, to reconnect anybody back, back, back to him. And here's the thing is the heartbeat of God is everybody on the planet at least ought to have the opportunity to hear that. They don't have to believe it. They can reject it. That's between them and God. But everybody deserves the right to hear that God loves them and he doesn't hate them. That's the first heartbeat of God. And, and by the way, uh, if you're here today and this is the first time you've ever heard that God doesn't hate you, it's because some people re rearranged their priorities and paid the rent so you could be in here and hear that, maybe for the first time in your life. The second priority of God is take care of the poor. Take care of the poor. I mean, you just read the first few verses of the Bible, and this is what you're going to find out, is that all life is holy and sacred. Because Whether they believe in God or believe in Jesus or not, every one of us is sacred because we're created in the image of God. And the Bible is crystal clear that the best way to worship, pure and faultless worship, looks like this. Take care of widows and orphans and the poor. See, taking care of the poor and feeding hungry people and drilling wells for thirsty people and providing clothes and shelter for homeless people and providing safety, safety for vulnerable and abused people, that is the heartbeat of God. Now, which one's more important? Don't answer out loud. What is it? Teach the gospel and teach them that God loves them or feed them. Which one is more important? And here's the answer. We're not allowed to choose. 
It's both. Love God, love people. It's both. What do you mean? You can get on an airplane and go to Afghanistan or Africa or downtown Denver, all right? And you can tell people that God loves them. And you know what? If you're telling me that God loves me, but my kids are sick and don't have enough to eat, I, I don't believe you. I just don't believe you, especially when you are one of God's people and you have more than enough and you won't share with me. So if God is anything like you, no thanks. The flip side of that is I can go and I can feed everybody on the planet. And if you don't have a house, I can build you a house. If your kids are sick, I can give you medicine. And you can get better and get fat and get get well-fed and all that kind of stuff. And at the end of your life, if you're still disconnected with God, what was the point? It's both. Let me tell you how much God loves you and let me feed your kids. It's It's both. It always will be both. That's what Jesus taught. Now, let me wrap this up because I'm, I'm a little bit over time, but you're used to that. It's me. All right. So anyway, um, if financial worry and stress is choking your, the joy out of your life, and I think that's like most of us, at least in parts of our life, Jesus would say it's time to do some gardening. And that's always painful. And it's always, you know, it stirs up dirt and everybody gets dirt and gets dirt under their fingernails and, and gets calluses and it gets hot and sweaty. But you've got to start pulling some weeds out at the root level. What, what do I mean? I'm going to ask you three questions. They're very offensive questions. You don't have to a- answer them out loud. You just have to wrestle with them all week long. But the answer is between you and God. Here's, here's the first one, all right? All right. Has your or is your current financial situation pushing God up the list or pushing him down? If you continue to spend your money the way that you're spending your money, is God taking a higher and higher priority in your life or is he getting knocked down lower and lower on the list because there's more stuff coming on the list all the time and God gets the leftovers down here? You have to answer that. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the answer should be. I'm just saying is given your financial direction right now, if it keeps going the way it's going, is God getting higher in priority list or lower? Second question. This is even better, all right? All right? If your income never changed, and here's why I say that. Most of my Christian life, I've always said to myself, I'll become a more generous person as soon as my circumstances change. If I get a raise, if I get a bonus, if this happens, if I get a tax refund, if this happens, if this happens, once I get this paid off, then I'm going to do things differently. I'm not talking about that. If your financial situation remains the same, meaning you're never going to make more money, whatever you make now, that's it. All right? What would it take for you to become a generous person? If nothing changed, meaning the money's not going to come up. So you're not going to find that generosity up here, which means you're going to have to start weeding some out of your life to, to build the margin down here. Are you willing to do that? And what would that mean? You say, all right, listen, as I live my life, I've got to make sure that I've got some margin in my life for the things of God. This leads me to the, to the third question, all right? As a regular discipline of your life. Now, here's what I mean by that. I'm not talking about that one-shot, you know, hit. You know, and here's what I mean by that. You know, I'm watching this TV show, and at the end of the show, they show these little kids in Africa with flies all over their face, and I started crying, and I wrote a check. I'm not talking about that. That's a good thing, and you ought to do that, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about every Memorial Day, I go to the intersection, there's a guy out there with a boot or a bucket or something like that, and I put some money in, and now I'm a generous person. You ought to do that. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, a few years ago, kind of the best moment so far in the life of this church, in my, in my experience here, is I put this rug up here and talked about Afghanistan, and a bunch of you got up and came up here, and you actually emptied your wallets out up here and said, make sure you, you dig that well. That was an awesome thing, and we may do that again in the future, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about as the regular way that you live your life. What percentage of your income have you dedicated towards the things of God? Whether you're, you're in middle school and you're on a $10 a week allowance or you're retired and living off your, your retirement, whatever I'm talking about, and everything in between. As the regular discipline of your life, meaning this, I get up in the morning, I eat breakfast, I go to school, I go to work, I go to soccer practice, I do this, I come home, I go to bed. Wh- where is giving in that? 
giving some of your money away. I get up, I, go to, I eat breakfast, I go to work, I make sure that I give a percentage of my money to the poor, you know, then I come home, I eat supper, and I go to bed. What, where is, what is that for you? Now, I'm done. I got a couple of clarifying statements, all right? If you think that this morning was some, this whole talk has been some hidden agenda to get you to give more of your money away, you're wrong. It's not a hidden agenda. It's a blatant attempt. Because <laughs> without, 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 I'd say almost without exception in this room, and I'll put myself at the top of the list, I need to give more of my stuff away and keep less for myself. I need to be a less selfish person, don't you? I need to take care of some other things in my life besides me all the time. And I've got some important stuff going on in my life, all right? But we need to give more of our money away, all right? It's not because God needs our money. You know, God is not in heaven this morning going, oh, you know, there's some poor people in Africa, and if Lady in Road 10 would just give 10 more bucks, I could feed two more people. God is not sweating. God doesn't want to get your money. God just doesn't want your money to get you. He wants you to own your stuff, but a lot of us are being owned by our stuff, and that's the deceitfulness of wealth. So a lot of us, we do. Let's just be honest. We need to give more of our money away because it's the only way to become less greedy people. So bottom line, though. When we get up from here, Jim, and after two more songs and walk out, there's some buckets at the back door. You want us to put more money in there than we had originally planned on putting in there, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, now let, me, let me explain that. Every year, the same thing happens, all right? Somebody calls my house and says, hey, I'm trying to raise money to fight leukemia. And the reason they're trying to fight leukemia is that somehow leukemia has bumped into their life and they hate leukemia and they're trying to eliminate it. So without apology, they say, can you give $10 to fight leukemia? It happens every year. Right? Every year somebody will come up to me with a little pink bow on their, on, their, on their blouse and say, listen, I'm doing this walkathon to eliminate breast cancer from the planet. And the reason they're trying to eliminate breast cancer from the planet is somebody in their life was probably eliminated from the planet by breast cancer and they hate it. And now they're trying to raise money so that nobody else has to go through that. And without apology, they're saying, this is worth giving your money to. And I give my money to that as best as I can. Every year somebody comes up to me and says, my daughter is in Girl Scouts. <laughs> all right? All right? And, 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 and I, we're trying to fund this. And I said, so would you buy some cookies? And I'm like, all right, I'll take two cases. And so I take, you know, it's like, just doing my part to be a blessing, you know. So anyway, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take some cookies. You know, everybody, you know, people come and say, I'm trying to save puppies and prairie dogs and boulder and whatever that is. And, and here's the thing, is okay, because they believe in it. Because they believe in it. Because it's important to them. And they say, without apology, I think this is worth putting your money to. And so I stand up here as a pastor of this church and go, and without apology, I have no problem by saying this place is worth putting money in buckets. Because I've been a part of a lot of churches in my life and I've never found a place that cares more about lost people that no other church wants more than this place. And nobody cares more about you that i found in my life than this place and God in this place. And so if you're here for the first time find out that God does not hate you, that's the point. You are welcome here. And we don't care what you wear, what you eat, or what you drink. I'm just saying, are you connected to God? And there's a lot of great churches in the place, but this is the best one I've ever been a part of. And without apology, I say it's worth funding. The other thing is I've never found a place that cares more about the poor, locally and on the other side of the planet. And we were carving out every dime that goes in there to take a larger and larger percentage to give it away to the poor in this part of the world and all over the place to make sure that you who have lost your jobs and you who have lost your husbands and you who have lost your parents, whatever, are taken care of. So without apology, yeah, I think this is worth it. But here's the thing, is, and here's the disclaimer. If you don't trust us, because a lot of us have been burned by churches and religious organizations, there's some really whack jobs out there. I understand. If you don't trust us, find some place to give your money to that you do trust that's going after both of those things. The heart of God. Making sure people hear that God loves them and taking care of the poor. If it's not here, then go find it someplace else. But here's the bottom line, all right? Don't buy into this weedy soil thinking everything that you have is all for you. Because that's called greed, and it will choke you to death. 
And that's the seed, ready? That's the seed that God has just thrown on you. And the, the question is, what soil did it just land on? And what are you going to do with it? Let's pray. So God, that was a really offensive message. <laughs> and that was like uncomfortable, and that's what... The one thing we can't say is that it's not true. We don't have to let it into our life, and we can kind of get into it a little while, but then we, when we have to you know, not buy something and, and because we spend it on something else, then it gets intrusive and it wilts, and then there's, there's so many things going on in our life that I believe that's true, God, I just can't do it, and it kind of chokes the truth out of our life. But God, the bottom line is we, we want an abundant life, and we want the life that you want us to have and the life we were meant to have. And, and the truth is, God, there's a lot... There's a lot of stuff growing in our life that we know. Not because some preacher told us that it was that way. We just know there's some stuff in our life that's crowding out the better things. And so, God, we open up our hearts to you right now and ask you to reach in there and help us to start pulling it out. It's going to get dirty. It's going to get messy. It's going to get inconvenient and uncomfortable. But it's going to get worth it, too. So, God, teach us what it means to have our hearts open to you and turn our hearts into soft, good soil where you can grow. Teach us what that means. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.